Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome to Talking Hockey Sense. I'm Chris Peters. This is episode 44 of the podcast and I am so glad you are here to help me wrap up the 2021-22 college hockey season and what a season it was. We got a lot of questions from listeners that I will get to in just a little bit. We've got a lot to talk about before we get there and We're going to cover mostly college hockey today, but stick around because there will be some NHL draft and NHL prospect talk based on some of the questions that I got. And there's a lot of prospect-specific college hockey questions as well. So if you are a fan of an NHL team, if you are looking forward to the NHL draft, if you're interested in college hockey, there is a little something for everyone in today's episode. And been focused really for the last month over a month on college hockey, you know, as the season was wrapping up, we talk about college free agents. We talk about the, uh, um, you know, the, the NCAA tournament, of course, and everything else that, that wraps up. And so for basically, you know, five to six weeks, college hockey becomes my primary focus, whereas it's just one of many focuses over the course of a season. And so this last few weeks, it's been very college hockey heavy. So I'll be moving into more NHL draft preparation Uh, Going forward, I will be going to Germany for the World Under-18 Championship, um, finalize those plans, and I will be heading out to Germany to Landshut and Kaufbaren, and I will be uh, hanging out there watching some hockey. And of course, this year at the Under-18 Worlds, no Russia, no Belarus, so it's an eight-team tournament. That makes it a little bit different, and the schedule is jacked up a little bit. The tournament's going to start a couple days later. It'll It'll run April 23rd through May 1st, and Team USA will have a very good roster there, one of the best that they've been able to send over the last few years, but as we've seen, uh, it has been very difficult for the Americans to win the gold medal, but it should be a, a good opportunity there. Canada will have a very interesting team from you know 
CHL players that are knocked out of the CHL playoffs early enough to, to join their teams. We're not sure if we'll see Connor Bedard there. Uh, he did play in the tournament last season and was lights out good. Um, so we'll see if he ends up in that situation. Not expecting to see Quebec Major Junior League players again for the second straight World Under-18 Championship due to their season still ongoing. Um, so it's going to be tougher for Canada to put together the the kind of roster, especially you know with how good their roster was last year, even without the Q players. Um, pretty impressive group that, that ended up winning the gold medal. So uh, we will see where things go on that front, but I'm very excited to get out there. The Under-18 World Championship is one of the most important draft events of the season. It's really one of the last opportunities for these players to, to play within their age group and, and show what they can do um, because a lot of you know, the European players have played professionally. Um, you know, the disappointment this year, of course, is that Slovakia will not have a team. They, they were not qualified for that tournament and were not elevated. Um, their under-18 team is currently playing in a lower division tournament for promotion to get back into the top level. But unfortunately, that means we're going to miss Simon Nemitz um, you know, we're going to miss, uh, um, Uri Slavkovsky and, and the rest. So, um, unfortunate, but that's the way that it goes. So looking forward to the tournament. Nonetheless, certainly, uh, we'll be keeping a close eye on team USA, but, but I will be covering the tournament as a whole and trying to get between both, uh, venues and I will have dispatches from Germany, um, next week. I, I'll be leaving next week. So I'm going to try to record the podcast before, I head out to Germany just to, to give a little bit of a, a preview for that and talk much more about the NHL draft. But now it's time to get into the meat of this podcast. It's just going to be me today. Um, no guests. It's, it, we're going to do the question and answers. i got so many great questions. It'll give us more than enough time to fill up this podcast. But before I go a step further, got to say congratulations to the University of Denver, the 2022 National Champions of Men's Hockey. They did it the hard way. Uh, we're down to one nothing heading into the third period. They end up scoring five third period goals against the best defense in the country, and uh, pretty remarkable effort from from all of those pioneers as they managed to break through Minnesota State and win the national title, their ninth ever, and that ties Michigan for most in the history of college hockey, men's college hockey. Really outstanding. Um, effort. David Carl, the head coach, is going to get a lot of credit and he's going to have a lot of buzz around him. Only 32 years old. A great story of perseverance, come, overcoming, you know, losing his dream of being a player. He was going to be drafted. He was going to be a guy that was on NHL radars and, um, you know, a heart condition discovered during the combine process um, led to him having to retire early from hockey. But the University of Denver honored his scholarship. That's where he was headed to, to, to play. And he instantly got into coaching and then he worked his way up the ladder, you know, starting as a student manager, student assistant kind of situation with Denver, works his way up, goes and, and coaches for the Green Bay Gamblers as an assistant there, returns to Denver as an assistant, helps them win a national title um, under Jim Montgomery and, you know, is able to stick around. He gets the job after Montgomery gets to the NHL, youngest head coach in college hockey. And he's already had two Frozen Four appearances and now a national title to his name. So we're definitely uh, going to have to give a, a lot of credit to David Carl at his young age. But he's also just a great hockey coach. Uh, I think he's got the right demeanor. He's got the right in, uh, the, the right idea. He's built a culture or maintained a culture in that program. Um, 
at the University of Denver that that is certainly a big part of their identity as a, as a program and then also um, a, a big key to their success. So that's that's huge. But as as David Carl would would always want to deflect. I mean, it's it's all about the players and the performances that were were put forth. And you know, Mike Benning ended up being the um, most outstanding player, the defenseman in, in Florida Panthers draft pick. Um, who had just a phenomenal season. I mean, really an underrated season in terms of you know how how much he produced and how much he meant to that team. Um, and I, I you know I was watching him at the Frozen Face Off and uh, you know and at the Frozen Four, and you know the, his ability to you know play with such skill and precision and you know he scores a, a championship winning goal. It's pretty impressive. I mean, 38 points is what he finished with this season, 41 games. Um, you know, so nearly a point per game player, 15 goals, and he only had 11 points in 21 games last season. So, you know, this is a guy that's on the rise, and and we expect that he'll be returning to Denver next year, which is great news for them. Also, you have to give a lot of credit to the goaltending of Magnus Krona, specifically in that championship game. He really came through for his team. Um, you know, making a lot of saves and keeping them in it, keeping it a one nothing game when they were really struggling to get shots on goal. I mean, through two periods, Denver only had eight shots on goal. And if not for Magnus Krona, who is a, a former Tampa Bay Lightning draft pick and now property of the San Jose Sharks via trade, you know, he had just a tremendous season. Um, you know, his numbers don't suggest that, you know, he played particularly well, but, you know, 28 wins. Uh, for his team, you know, he certainly wasn't the reason that his team would lose games, and and they didn't lose many games this year, and now they're national champions. So, you know, it's it's uh, to to see, you know, we don't see a ton of uh, of foreign players and European players come into uh, college hockey. It's certainly been a, a higher number, but the ones that have in these last few years, um, each of the last two goaltenders to win a Frozen Four title uh, came from Europe. And last year it was Philly Lindbergh, and this year. Uh, it's it's Magnus Krona, so outstanding there. And and you know what more can you say about Denver? They had so much skill. Carter Savoy was excellent. Uh, Bobby Brink was excellent. And um, but you know it was it was more of the depth guys that were able to get it done. I thought Carter Mazur had a, just a tremendous Frozen Four period. Detroit Red Wings draft pick. He's a he's a down the lineup guy. I think next year he'll be a top line guy, um, and he's going to be a hugely important piece for their team. And, uh, you know, we'll expect to see him at the Summer World Juniors as well. He was supposed to be there anyway, um, and, and it should be good there. So Denver, just a, a tremendous team, and, and you know, they won't look exactly the same next year. Bobby Brink already signing his, his NHL contract, and he's already made his NHL debut with the Philadelphia Flyers. So, um, yeah, so, it, it, you know, you, you lose guys and, and things get, get, a little, get a little different, but you just kind of reload, and I think that Denver is very well – very well set up for the not just the now but the future as well. Really good recruiting and and quality classes coming in. So we'll see where the pioneers go from here. And just a quick word on, on Minnesota State. You know they end up falling just short of of a historic win for their program, but they had already had a historic season for their program. And I think that that was a real opportunity for them to get in front of a national audience, get in front of a, a large audience of of potential players. Because, you know, as good as Minnesota State is defensively, I don't think that they, this team in particular, 
it wasn't necessarily a sit back and wait team. This was an attacking team. I think a lot of players in today's game want to play an attacking style. And, you know, you look at the point totals that guys like Nathan Smith and Julian Napravnik and, um, and so many others on that team were able to put up this year. And you have to be impressed. And, and yes, they play in the CCHA and it's not as easy a schedule, but or it's not as difficult a schedule, but they did also play a very difficult non-conference schedule. And all those guys still were able to perform at a high level. Um, it's unfortunate that, you know, things kind of go south. They played a great 40 minutes and then it all fell apart in that, that, that final 20 minutes. Um, you know, I, I, the scoreline obviously looks a lot worse than it was. The two empty net goals certainly, um, you know, put that game so far out of reach, but, um, what, what more can you say? I mean, they had the Hobie Baker winner and Dryden McKay, which we'll talk a little bit more about in a bit. Um, you know, an all American and Nathan Smith, um, you know, they just had a really tremendous hockey team and they were a lot of fun to watch. You know, I think that they played it. They, they weren't always fun to watch because they could grind you down. But I mean, the fact that they played as well as they did throughout this season, um, just a remarkable effort. And you have to give a lot of credit to Mike Hastings and the program that he built. And, you know, he's asked in, in what, in the, after their, their first ever frozen four win where they, you know, they won the semifinal and, and just, flat out dominated Minnesota, you know, he, he talked about how he had no idea that this was going to be possible at this program. It was a huge leap of faith when he left the Omaha Lancers where he had become at that time, the winningest coach in USHL history and moves on to college hockey and has built a winning culture at Minnesota state, a place where I'm sure a lot of people said he'd never be able to win. Um, and now he's had two straight trips to the frozen four so, um, you know, I think Mike Hastings is, is an incredible hockey coach as well and has made the most out of out of a good situation um, or, or made that a good situation. And I think that, you know, Minnesota State, no matter what, they're on the map now and they are they have an opportunity here to to have a really tremendous um, future as a program. Uh, and it'll be very interesting to see where things go next. All right, before we get to your questions, I did also want to touch on the fact that there are a lot of pro signings happening right now. As I recorded this, top undrafted free agent Ben Myers has not yet made his decision about where he's going to go, um, but that is uh, a process that remains underway, and certainly he has uh, a lot of different things to consider when making that decision. Um, we'll see where Ben Myers goes, but he had a tremendous season, a Hobie Hattrick finalist, and... I still think a guy that could make an instant impact on an NHL roster uh, as soon as next season. However, we've seen the pro exodus. It's already started at Michigan where Kent Johnson, Owen Power, um, and Maddie Beniers all signed their NHL contracts. All will be making their debuts or have made their debuts in the case of Power and Beniers. Johnson coming up soon. Um, and uh, Bobby Brink, who I mentioned, already has played in an NHL game, so... Um, you know, the, the guys did not waste much time, uh, moving on and, uh, Michigan certainly will look a lot different next year. They have another great recruiting class coming in. They're going to be able to retain some of their top players, including Luke Hughes, who's, uh, you know, there's a question about that later. We'll, we'll kind of get into that, um, again, but you know, it sounds like he's, he is going to stay, um, and stick to the plan that it was set, you know, really before the season began and, and get an extra year of college in. Um, and then, you know, you've got, Portillo coming back as well, the goaltender. Um, uh, Thomas Bordolo and Brendan Brisson both signed AHL contracts, PTOs, um, as precursors to their NHL deals that will begin next season. Um, so Bordolo and Brisson also gone. 
Um, but yeah, this will be a very interesting time. On top of that, in addition to the pro signings that Michigan has had to deal with, we still don't know what the future holds for head coach Mel Pearson. Uh, Mel's been a guest on this podcast and certainly you know, somebody that I've, I've, I've had a lot of conversations with over the years. Um, but the, the program remains under investigation. That investigation is due to be completed here at the end of this month. And uh, also at the end of this month, Mel Pearson's contract expires. And um, there were no comments on his future from either him or Ward Manuel at the Frozen Four. Um, so what happens next is anyone's guess. Uh, the investigation ha- covers a lot of different things. There are a lot of allegations made against the program and against the leadership of the program. Um, not the least of which was, you know, uh, tampering with or lying about um, COVID uh, on COVID questionnaires ahead of last year's national championship. Um, there is an allegation of retaliation against a former player who uh, essentially raised concerns about the program. Um, and then that player was no longer with the team. And there's also been allegations uh, of misconduct in the office towards female employees. Um, and so that is another thing where, you know, there, there are a lot of things that need to be addressed. The fact that Pearson does not have a contract extension yet, um, even though he said that he didn't want, uh, to, he didn't want to distract the team from, from that. I mean, it doesn't just doesn't make sense. Um, it was more distracting that he didn't have the, the extension done because there are all these questions about his future. Um, so there very well could be a new head coach at Michigan, um, with in the very near future, who that would be, where that would go, very uh, uncertain. Um, but it is something that will definitely be monitoring because Michigan obviously has become a hugely. I mean, it's always been one of the blue bloods. It's always been one of the top programs, and certainly historically, one of the most successful, and and certainly one of the most successful at placing players in the NHL. Um, it's become a, a pro factory over the years and that hasn't stopped with, you know, the way that the draft went last season. So, you know, I think there'll be a lot of interest in, interest in where this goes next and who, who eventually comes in and who becomes the head coach at, at the university of Michigan. But there is a lot uh, left on the table here to be decided. So we will see where that goes, but that is, that is something that certainly bears watching. Um, some other coaching news, as you already know, you know, Boston University job is open. Um, a little bit more surprisingly, Michigan State just opened up. Uh, Danton Cole uh, relieved of his duties uh, after five years as the Spartans head coach, and I know how much that job meant to him and how how much he approached that job with with such passion and um, and heart. But unfortunately, really, the results have not been there, um, and and they haven't shown enough improvement where you know the athletic department has decided to go in another direction. That's a even though it is uh, the program has fallen on hard times. I mean, they have a, a, a national championship not terribly far in the rearview. Two thousand seven. It's it, I mean, it's fifteen years at this point because um, apparently time is weird like that. But you know that's still um, you know decent. And then you know they just haven't really been close since. And and now you have to find a way to get back to that. And some uh, some names have certainly popped up that that could be in the mix there. Um, and you could read more about that on daily or sorry on uh, hockey sense um, on Substack. So I'll, uh, I'll get to my hockey sense plug in just a second as we have a lot of uh, juicy pieces in the newsletter. So I don't want to s- share them all here just so that you know you're not reading it twice because I know a lot of people that listen to the podcast also subscribe to the newsletter and we thank you for that. 
but yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot of turnover. Also, the transfer portal has become, um, you know, it's it's but bursting with players at this point. Um, you know, drafted players, undrafted players, uh, you know, just fifth year seniors, Division three players looking to to play Division one. Um, you know, and players are finding spots, but there, there aren't enough spots to go around. I don't think for the number of players that are in the transfer portal and the number of incoming freshmen. Um, but there are new programs. I mean, since the last time we recorded this podcast, you know, there's Stonehill college is going division one. Lindenwood is going division one. They're going to need to fill out rosters. So that does help kind of soften the log jam, but I don't think either of those, you know, any program wants to start fully with transfers and not really be able to build, you know, something that's sustainable and, and, and allows them to set their culture early on. But I mean, there's all these smaller schools that are adding Division One hockey. Meanwhile, we've been waiting. Is Illinois ever going to come around again? Is Are they going to readdress that? You know, there are all these different things. Um, but the transfer portal is really kind of chaos at this moment. Um, players moving back and forth. And and I, I said it on my newsletter last week and it was, you know, it was free to read. So, you know, I, I don't mind resharing it here, but it's just the transfer portal, allowing players freedom of movement is, is, is a good thing, but it may have gone too far in one direction um, because you have that. And then you combine that with the extra year of eligibility that players are getting because of COVID and they want to use that year of eligibility. But so many of these programs don't have those scholarships left to give to their fifth year seniors. Um, so they are basically being forced to move on. So the, the transfer portal, when you see guys that are looking for their graduate year, in a lot of cases, those are players that weren't going to have a roster spot at their current team. So it's not just players running from adversity or be, because they don't like their coach or they don't like their teammates or so, you know, it's, there's a lot more to it than that. And that's one of the reasons why the portal has, really exploded is because it's not just the guys that are looking for different opportunities. It's guys that are, are, you know, basically have no other choice, but to enter the portal and, and, and hope that somebody picks them up. And, and in a lot of cases they won't. Um, but there are a number of very intriguing fifth year seniors in there. Ben Brinkman from the university of Minnesota, Johnny Sorensen, uh, Nolan Moyle, Jimmy Lambert from uh, those two from Michigan. So, you know, there are guys that can help a program, um, with their experience and and it looks like Arizona State has really tapped into the transfer portal in a huge way um, they've gotten you know three transfers alone from Arizona State I know there are others coming so um, they'll be playing in their new building next year so uh, Arizona State's going to look a little bit more like transfer you uh, there but you know if you can use the portal to your advantage um, more power to you because it is there there are a lot of names that, that end up in there and some great, some some you know some players that may not find a new place, um, but it also allows some of those players to maybe look into playing Division Three and other options for them uh, as well. So uh, yeah, but the transfer portal is here. It's going to be uh, chaotic. It's going to be um, challenging. It's going to give college coaches a lot of headaches, but it also has it gives teams an opportunity. Everybody has the same opportunity essentially um, to you know to get the players that they need into their program. However, they do. Um, and, and they have to use different strategies and they have to adapt or be left behind. That's as simple as that. 
All right, I do want to get into our question and answers, but before I do that, I do want to remind you that if you have not yet, please subscribe, rate, review this podcast. We are available wherever you get podcasts, and a lot of people uh, tend to find it on Apple Podcasts. So if you are on Apple Podcasts, please do leave a written review. It really helps a lot because that's where a lot of our listeners are coming from, and allow them uh, let them know what you think of the podcast. And also a five star rating would be would be nice as well. We've gotten uh, fifty eight five-star rating so far and i do uh want to uh share yet another five-star rating this one from skew 287 on april 2nd this guy knows all junior and college hockey my go-to source to learn about the players of the future thank you very much skew 287 and thank you to you all who have left written reviews it does help more than you know and it allows people to see hey this podcast is not bad and if as long as it's not bad, I feel pretty good about where we're at. So really looking forward to uh, getting to, to more episodes here. Uh, we've got a lot to go. This is the season that never ends. So I, I, I assume that I'll be going you know, with, with minimal breaks through the summer. Um, so stay right here to get subscribed to it. You can also find this podcast on my Substack. You don't need a subscription to the Substack to listen to the podcast there, but it is there. But please, if you would, be ever so kind. If you want to get more information, if you want to go even more in-depth than I can go here on this podcast on certain players and different things uh, that I talk about, newsletters every week on hockeysense.substack.com. That's Hockey Sense with Chris Peters on Substack. That is where you will find most of my written work. I also am writing for dailyfaceoff.com, which is where you'll find things like draft rankings and prospect rankings and things like that. But if you want to get really into the weeds, if you want to know more about college hockey, junior hockey, um, international hockey, these tournaments that I'm going to, what you know, what I, some of my dispatches from the road, I always try to leave notes about games that I've gone to see. Um, there will be plenty there for you to uh, to to enjoy. So um, please do consider a subscription. To that it's six dollars a month, fifty four dollars for the annual subscription. So it saves you three months off of the monthly fee. I am so thankful to everyone that has stuck with me throughout this entire year. We're, we're over a year now in both the podcast and in uh, the the Substack, and it has been uh, it's been very rewarding. It's been a lot of work. It's been a, it's been hard at times as well, but it's really rewarding to know that you know this is my direct connection to you, the listeners and the readers. And I really, really hope that you continue to uh, enjoy the podcast, enjoy the the Substack, the the newsletters. And uh, if you don't, let me know. Let's see how I can do it better. So uh, I, I appreciate that as well. All right. I've got a ton of questions, most of them college hockey related, but a lot of very specific prospects. So we're going to talk about NHL prospects. We're going to talk about the Hobie Baker. Um, there is some stuff about the 2022 NHL draft um, and, and also some recruiting and other things like that. So we are going to go uh, deep on these questions, a lot of really specific stuff. So I hope that you enjoy it. And I really do appreciate everyone that sent in a question on Twitter. All right. Our first question comes from Derek Gorney. Dryden McKay is listed at six foot on CHN as was, as well as Devin Levi. Why does it feel like he's not going to get a fair shot at the NHL while Levi is drafted in roughly the same size? Well, Derek, thank you for the question. It is a good one because it is part of the Hobie Baker debate as well. Um, not just the size factor, uh, but I wanted to, to talk about that as well. So, of course, Dryden McKay wins the Hobie Baker this year, um, had an incredible season. His final stat line is a 38-5-0, uh, 
931 save percentage, um, 10 shutouts. It is his third straight year with 10 or more shutouts. He had a 1.31 goals against average. And yes, he is listed at six feet tall. Um, there is certainly some dispute about that. Um, but let's take nothing away from Dryden McKay's season. Um, he had a great one. He had actually a, a better one statistically in his sophomore season. Um, but this was the year that he won the Hobie Baker. And it, you know, for me, it was controversial. Um, I think Dryden McKay is a great player. I did not think he was the best player in college hockey this year. Um, you know, that's my personal opinion. Um, if I had a vote, it would have gone to Devin Levi, um, a 9.52 save percentage in a much different situation and, and essentially got his team into the, uh, the NCAA tournament without, you know, without him, I don't think that happens. Um, and certainly I, I wonder if him going to the Olympics and not playing at the Olympics actually ended up hurting his candidacy, um, for the Hobie because, uh, you know, he had the best collegiate season since Ryan Miller's, um, you know, just a, a few years ago. So, or well, 20, 20 years ago. So that's, that's one thing. That's one part of the, the discussion. The other part of the discussion is the NHL future. And the interesting thing about Dryden McKay is he's had this tremendous collegiate career, um, unrivaled in, in terms of, you know, no, no one has had as many shutouts, as many wins. Um, but for a goaltender that is below six foot two, and and that's six foot two. I mean, I'm serious that you know there there are very very few exceptions. Uh, you know, UC Saros in Nashville is one of them, who's a five foot eleven goaltender, who's managed to become a number one goalie in the NHL. Um, there aren't a ton like him. Uh, there aren't going to be very many like him. And this is one position where the size bias continues. The reason that Devin Levi got drafted. At under six foot is that he showcased a an NHL skill set, um, you know, and that was in his athleticism, his ability to play with you know tremendous technique. He didn't play in a in a top league, you know, in the his final season um, was in the CCHL, which is you know a lower level junior league, not often scouted. There aren't many players that are drafted out of the CCHL in a given year. He had a nine forty one save percentage in that there but he also played in the world junior a challenge which is where i think he really turned some heads and that's certainly where he caught my eye um as well he had a 917 save percentage in that tournament you know ended up going two and two um for a team that was completely overmatched but he was stellar in that situation um so he was really good uh, in that game then he goes uh to northeastern you know, so he gets drafted late seventh round, you know, but he, he had a body of work. There was something there that the teams could, could kind of latch onto that and have playing at that world junior A challenge. And then also playing the CJHL top prospects game, which is another place where I saw him where he played exceptionally well, you know, it got him on the radar just because Devin Levi is drafted. Doesn't mean that he's a sure thing. Um, and at six foot tall, you know, he's drafted 212th overall. Um, and so it's not like there was a huge belief. There was just enough belief to use a draft pick on him. Um, so that's that's one thing. The subsequent years that we've seen from him, we saw the World Juniors last season where he had essentially the greatest performance by a Canadian goaltender in the history of that tournament. 964 save percentage, 0 0.75 goals against average, three shutouts in a 6-1 record. He ends up getting out-dueled by Spencer Knight in the gold medal game 
and Canada wins silver. Um, but still, he was exceptional in that tournament, one of the greatest performances that I've personally seen um, in that event. So that's the evidence is mounting that he is an NHL goalie. So why isn't that same evidence applying to Dryden McKay? Well, not all evidence is created equal. And certainly, you look at Dryden McKay's numbers this year, the 931 save percentage, all that stuff, you know, it, it pops out at you. But you also have to consider the team effects of that as well. And I think that the real reason that, that Dryden McKay is probably not getting an NHL contract this year um, and will have a decision to make, he will still be able to use a year of eligibility in college if he wants it. Um, make sure that every record that he has is never going to be touched. He could go to Europe like Strauss Mann did for um, Michigan last year. He's one of the top goalies in the country. Didn't get a, a, an NHL deal under six foot two. Goes to Europe, makes the Olympic team, has an opportunity. You know, he's got a chance. Um, the other thing is for Dryden McKay is Minnesota State just does not allow a lot of shots. The most shots that Dryden McKay saw in a game this season was 28. And there were not many instances where he saw over 20 shots per game. Um, so that is a team that just doesn't allow very much. Everyone that tries to go up against Dryden McKay says, if you can get him to move laterally, laterally you're going to have a chance. Um, because, but the problem is, is that Minnesota State, just their defensive setup just doesn't allow you to move pucks laterally, laterally very well. So, you know, you look at some of it. He had 10 shutouts this year. Um, he had a nine-save shutout against St. Thomas, a five-save shutout against Lake Superior State, a five-save shutout against St. Thomas. You know, um, or sorry, that wasn't a shutout. That, that he gave up one in that, that game against St. Thomas, actually. Um, you know, so so there, some of the numbers are a bit inflated as well because he just didn't see that many shots. Averaged about 18 shots against per game. So if I'm an NHL scout and I'm watching and I say, I don't know what he is as a goalie. Um, I feel like the system doesn't allow me to see what he is as a goalie. And then when there are situations where they have to get him moving he's you know he's beatable um and again i think dryden mckay is a is a phenomenal collegiate goaltender i think that his size will continue to be at his disadvantage as he goes to the pros but now it's on him to prove it at a different level away from the minnesota state um system the same kind of concerns were raised about goalies with the everett silver tips um you know once Carter Hart left Everett and he had these phenomenal numbers, Dustin Wolf came in and had similar, if not better, numbers than Carter Hart in his years there. Same situation, under six foot two goaltender. Not a lot of teams believed in him as an NHL player. However, when you removed him from Everett at the World Juniors, at the Holinka Gretzky Cup, at these other situations that he played in, and now in the AHL the belief is there that he can be an NHL goaltender. That wasn't always the case. And so in Dryden McKay's case, he is going to have to move away from Minnesota State to prove it. I haven't seen enough over the years that suggests that he has NHL caliber athleticism, explosiveness, mobility. Um, I think that, you know, this is probably the hot, you know, He'll, he'll play professional hockey. I just don't think he'll play in the NHL. And it's not because he doesn't have, they're, they're not giving him a fair shake. I just think that the ability there 
Um, the, the numbers don't necessarily meet the ability because of the quality of the team in front of him. And whether that's fair or not, you can argue, but I think that's just the way that I see it and certainly the way that NHL scouts see it. Um, whereas we've seen Devin Levi in other environments and also at, at keep in mind, he had a 952 save percentage while seeing an average of over 30 shots per game. You know, where he's seeing, you know, a, a significant amount more shots per game, that gives me a better idea of what he's capable of. Um, whereas Devin Levi don't, or whether Dryden McKay, I don't have that evidence. So it's a good question. It's something that I know that a lot of people are talking about. Why is this guy not getting any love for the NHL? Hopefully that lines it out for you a little bit, but yeah, it's, it's, it's going to be an uphill battle for him. Um, whereas Levi now, you know, he's in a system, he's drafted, he'll have that opportunity. Um, and, and I think that there's, we just have more evidence plain and simple that that he can do it um, at a high level as an under six foot two goaltender. All right. Our next question comes from Jeff Anderson and we've had so many players that have, have signed their pro contracts. And there was one that a lot of people thought, Hey, he's ready to go. And so Jeff asked this, what are your thoughts on Brock Faber's decision to stay at Minnesota for 2022, 23? All right. So if you don't know Brock Faber, quality defenseman, for you know, elite defenseman for for the University of Minnesota, plays a ton of minutes for them. Um, played at the Olympics this year, has a World Junior Gold Medal from last season, and was going to be a top player, and probably will still be a. He'll probably be the number one defenseman at the upcoming Summer World Juniors. But he decides to stay in school. Ellie King's draft pick, right shot defenseman. Oddly enough, the same day that Brock Faber decides that he's going back to school, Drew Doughty goes down with a season-ending injury, and suddenly there's a right shot defense spot that you know potentially could be filled by a Brock Faber right now. Uh, Faber's decided to stay in school, and honestly, he's he's one of those guys where it could go either way. I think that he's ready. Um, I think that he he's done a lot. However, what I will say is. By staying one more year, there's a very specific thing that I think Brock Faber can work on, and that is his offensive game. He has skill. He has skating ability. He has vision. We need to see it on a more consistent basis because his production, it hasn't necessarily been there. Um, because The amount of minutes that he plays, you would like to see more points coming from a defenseman like him. His value is in his defense. He's a just an elite defender. He's not a big guy, but he's a solid guy. And he and he skates very well. And he's very intelligent. But let's still get it this way. 12 points in 27 games as a freshman. 14 points in 32 games as a sophomore. There is more that he can give. There is more that he can do. I, I'm a believer in Brock Faber as a, as a quality top four NHL defenseman. But by staying at Minnesota another year, he's allowing himself the opportunity to to you know, make some, make some legit plays and, and start contributing offensively and understanding how to play um, that offensive game. Because as of right now, it, it hasn't materialized over any of the last three years, even going back to his draft season. Um, so we would certainly like to see more production out of a guy like Brock Faber, but there's no question in my mind, you know, he'll sign as soon as next season is over. He'll go to the, the Kings and he'll be, you know, potentially a top four defenseman for them right away, which would be difficult to do because they have great depth in their system. But I, I do think that he's a, a quality player and one that will make a take, take another big step. All right, this next one is uh, Boston Bruins and Ohio State related. We've got a, a couple of Boston Bruins questions coming here. So this first one comes from Mike Craddy. 
on Ohio State, what is Georgie Merkulov's upside and what are his strengths? Also, what do you think about Mason Lorai's decision to, to stay for another year at Ohio State? So Georgie Merkulov had a, a tremendous freshman season with Ohio State. He had 20 goals. He was a first-team All-Big Ten selection. And the momentum started to build late in the season that he was going to get an NHL contract. Now, I didn't list him on my free agents because I tend not to list freshmen if I can help it because you never really know. Um, and it's very rare that they come out. But the Boston Bruins did offer a three-year entry-level deal to Georgie Merkulov, and he is now a part of the Boston Bruins, not returning to Ohio State next year. And just a tremendous player, had a great season, as I mentioned, 20 goals. I think that you know his upside is is still a bit of a, a mystery to me. I think that he's taken two giant steps over these last couple of years, which has been really important for him. Um, very important for you know his development and and where he's going next. Um, you know, I think he's he's not a big guy. He's got some good quickness though. He's highly skilled. I think I think he's got great vision. Um, when I watched him with Ohio State this year, I thought he looked like a professional. He looked like a guy that that you know is is going to contribute. Is he a lock to be, you know, a top six guy? Certainly not. I, you know, I think that he could potentially settle into a middle six situation as a scoring depth option. Um, but he's not a sure thing. And but he's got these this three year deal to to work it out. Um, and he'll start with the Providence Bruins and then go from there. I think he can kind of develop uh, at his own pace. But he's taken really big steps. So last season he had 30, 40 points in thirty eight USHL games. Goes in, makes an immediate impact for Ohio State. It's very rare for Russian players to to, to make it in, in college hockey. But we've seen a lot more in recent years. And to see what Merkulov was able to do in his one and only season at Ohio State, you know, I had a feeling that there was somebody that, out there that was going to try to you know get him under contract early. And it just so happened to be the Boston Bruins. All right, so the next question is about Mason Lorai. And he is a very intriguing player he's a big defenseman he's offensively gifted he had a tremendous season last year in 2020-21 when he had 59 points including 19 goals for the green bay gamblers so that's his draft plus one season um when the when the bruins took him in the second round 58th overall two years ago i thought that was a pretty big reach for that particular player um while Lorai is incredibly gifted offensively, defensively his details are poor, I would say. Um, they're getting better. I, I think that that is something that he needs to continue to work on. Now, when a guy is two years out from his draft, you you start wondering, okay, when is he going to sign? This In this particular instance, I think he absolutely needs to go back to school. I think that he's not ready for the NHL. He wouldn't make the Bruins. And maybe if he stays for a year or even two more at Ohio State, he will be able to be an instant, you know, guy, a guy that could step into the lineup. He had 29 points in 31 games as a freshman this season. You know, he's not a true freshman. He's a bit of an older freshman, already 21 years old. Um, and, and so... You know, he's kind of on a different timeline than other players. So I would assume that he only plays one more year of college hockey, but we'll have to see if he takes that next step. Ohio State was very good this year. He was a reason for it. Um, you know, I think that he really played well. And I think his defensive game is getting better. I think it will continue to improve under Steve Rollick at Ohio State. 
you know, you have to be able to defend for that team. And, and I think that at times this year, he looked a lot better than he did um, in his, his incredible USHL season last year. So uh, a lot left to come. I, I think that he's making the right decision for himself. Next question comes from Saxon Eric Bruins. Quinn Olson, is he staying in school for another year? So Quinn Olson played for Minnesota Duluth this year, and I thought this was his kind of breakout season. Um, you know, he's he's been a quality college player for the last couple of years, um, but not hadn't really taken that step. So this year, 25 points in 42 games. Still not amazing in terms of the point production, but, you know, he plays with speed. He's got good skill. He's only 20. You know, so he's a junior. He's going into his senior season, and he's still only 20 years old. He'll turn 21 in May. Um, so he's a true, he's a true junior, um, and is a third round pick of the Bruins. I think that he's taken such phenomenal steps as a player um, at Minnesota Duluth that this last season, you know, he will have the opportunity if he chooses to go the free agent route um, if if he wants to after next season. I don't necessarily know if he will, but you know, either way, I you know, I haven't heard one way or the other whether he's signing or not. I, I believe he'll stay in school, and I believe that's the right call for him. He's he's he still needs a little bit more refinement, um, but he played a lot this year with Dominic James and um, uh, and Blake Biondi, and that line was incredible for for Minnesota Duluth. That was their best line, and I think they have an opportunity to. You'll be a driving line next year, so we'll see where they go. But I think he'll he'll probably be back. Lindsey Steppen asks, Chris, my BC Eagles had a tough season. Any hope next year will be easier on Coach York and us fans? And also Tom asks, Chris, do you think Jerry York will be back next year? So we'll answer Tom's question first. I do believe Jerry York will be back next year. I think that they're going to have to drag him from the bench. Um, but I do think that there is the end is near in, in terms of his, his coaching career. And this season was an incredibly difficult one for Boston College. They were not good. Um, they they struggled down the stretch, and you know, of course, missed the NCAA tournament. They'll be without Jack McBain and Mark McLaughlin next season. They were two seniors anyway. Um, you know, they'll be out without Drew Hellison, who signed. So it's not getting easier. Um, they will have some good recruits coming in next season. Cutter Gautier, Dylan Silverstein. They're, they're you know quality. They, Dylan Silverstein might help you know, settle in their goaltending position, which was a, which was a point of, 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 it just wasn't good enough this year. Um, but I think there is a lot of concern about where, you know, what the Eagles are going to look like next year. If they're going to have enough to, to take a step, if they're going to have enough to compete and, you know, they've lost a, a number of, of, of senior players, guys that, you know, have signed professional deals and now are gone to, uh, other opportunities and, and, you're almost starting from scratch again. Um, they need a lot more from you know from their freshman class from this last season. I don't think that they got the contributions that they expected or needed from them. Um, but they have some you know they have some good players, some guys that can take a step. I think Matt Argentina you know can be a guy that takes a step. Aiden Hershuk, you know they're they're good players, but you really have to hope that Cutter Gautier and, and players like that come into the team and and make an impact um, uh, on their roster because. At this point, you know, I just think that if Boston Boston College doesn't have necessarily um, the you know the horses to 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 compete at, at, at that high enough level, um, but you know, I guess we're gonna have to wait and see uh, from them. But 
but yeah, I think that Boston College, it's going to be tough. And I do think Jerry Ork will be back, but I do think the end is, is coming soon. Uh, Jerry is the winningest coach in the history of college hockey. He's a Hockey Hall of Famer. He's produced so many great NHL players, but I do think that um, um, you know when he's ready to go, he'll be able to go. I think he should be able to call his own shot. He's earned that. And then when he's done, I think you've got a, a really tough decision to make because you've got Mike Cavanaugh at UConn. I'm sure that he would be high on Boston College's list. Um, as a former assistant there, Greg Brown is coaching the Dubuque Fighting Saints and coached with David Quinn at the, the New York Rangers before that and was a longtime assistant at Boston College. I think he'll be in the mix. You know, Mike Ayers, who's on their bench now, um, you know, others like that. You know, there are opportunities for a lot of, of, of coaches um, and it would be one of the most sought after jobs uh, ever. And, and following a legend is not easy. Um, but, you know, if you're the right person, as we saw David Quinn, you know, very admirably followed up jack parker and was able to bring boston university back uh you know to, to prominence there um you know but that bu job is open as well so that'll be interesting to watch uh as as we wait and see but um yeah we'll we'll see where that goes and i i, I think i do have a question about the boston university coaching opening so we'll save that for the for that question a little bit later but that's that's some thoughts so i think you know Lindsay, just to you know bc i think they'll I don't know if they'll be better than they were this year. Um, they have a pretty uphill climb. Um, but yeah, it's it's pretty rare to see a, a team like that kind of fall by the wayside. So uh, I, I, I think they can bounce back a little bit more. Next one comes from F. Am I wrong if I'm expecting Michigan, Michigan's Mackie Samuskevich to dominate next year? Even if he only had 29 points on a stacked Michigan team, I felt like he was dominating a dominating player down the stretch. Well, you know what, F, that is a good question, and I think that he will be an outstanding sophomore. Mackie Samuskevich is speedy. He's skilled. I think what we saw towards the end of the season was that there was confidence there. He was building that up over time, and really that helped him get to that next level. I think that he's, you know, having been uh, – he was a guy that, that was kind of rumored in the Claude Giroux trade, like he could go to – to Philadelphia, Florida managed to hang on to him, which is great for them. Um, and you, know, you, you look down the stretch here and towards the end of the season, he didn't have any points in, in the, in the frozen four, but before that, you know, he was scoring goals. I saw him at the uh, big 10 championship game. And I thought that was the best game I'd seen him play all year. He had a goal and an assist and he was just outstanding throughout that entire game. And his speed was a problem for a very quick Minnesota team. Um, so that is a huge thing for Mackie Samuskevich. I do think he's going to take a big leap forward. And 29 points in 40 games as a freshman, considering the ice time he was getting, considering he was on the second power play unit, I mean, that, that is huge. Um, he had a great season by any stretch. I mean, 29 points in 40 games is a really good number for a freshman. Um, and, and I think that Samuskevich is going to be exceptional next season, especially because Michigan's going to be young. They need sophomores like him to step up and make make some plays. And they'll also need Luke Hughes. And this next one comes from Patrick La Rochelle. Chris, do you think Luke Hughes will be back at Michigan next year? He had a really great season as a freshman. Yes, he did have a really great season as a freshman. His final stat line for the season was 39 points in 41 games. He had 17 goals and 22 assists. He was held off the score sheet in the game against Denver and was on the ice for the game-winning goal against uh, as Denver was able to score. It's just a kind of a tough luck bounce, though, 
Um, and certainly uh, one of those plays where, you know, you wish you could go back in time and, and know what was going to happen. Um, but that's, <laughs> that's not always that that's not always the case. So, uh, but Luke Hughes is by all indications is returning to Michigan next year. Um, it's something that he said at, at the summer that that was the plan. He figured he would spend at least two years there. And I so admire the patience of that because he had a season where I felt like it changed the calculus. One of the best freshman seasons that we've seen, especially for somebody at his age. And keep in mind, he, he turned, you know, he turned 18 right before the college season started. So he's one of the youngest players in college hockey this year and was one of the youngest players in the draft last year. And he's taking such a huge step forward because, you know, one of the things is his defending is not as good as his offensive game, but it's good. He's a good defender. He plays physically. He's got good positioning. Yes, he can turn pucks over. He he plays a high-risk game. Um, and sometimes he doesn't make the best decisions and needs to manage the game a little bit better. But by and large, you take that all day because of what he can do at the other end of the ice. And so... Luke Hughes, I think, will be in the Hobie Baker mix. He was a top 10 candidate this year. Um, even though Michigan will may take a tiny step back next year, I still think they're going to be very good. They're going to have a lot of players that are you know, playing in bigger roles next year. They're going to have really good freshmen. Um, but I think Luke Hughes has an opportunity to be a dominant player next season. All right, this next one comes from Hawks 35 We have seen two top prospects Logan Cooley and Rucker McGordy decommit from Notre Dame this year. Is this simply kids changing their minds or is it something about the ND program that makes top guys shy away? Thanks for all your hard work. This is a tough one because I, having followed the Notre Dame program for a long time, um, and, and as a kid, I actually like loved Notre Dame. There were my two teams were UIC and Notre Dame. Um, I love Notre Dame football. Just growing up in an Irish Catholic family in Chicago. It's kind of like the way it is. Um, and, uh, you know, but, but as a, as a professional, as I've moved on and, you know, become an adult <laughs> and, you know, had my own college and all these other things, I've just been following with interest because I think Jeff Jackson is a tremendous hockey coach. Uh, I think his teams play, uh, an NHL style of hockey. Um, but losing top prospects has been a real issue for the Irish the last few years. They also lost, uh, Sasha Pasajov last year. Um, to the major junior ranks. And this year you have Cooley going to Minnesota and then McGroarty going to Michigan. So not only do they decommit, they go to players and go to teams in your conference. Um, you know, I think Notre Dame has always been a, a very defensive minded style. Um, you know, they, they play a certain way um, and that doesn't always mesh with high skill players that want to open things up a little bit. And I think, you know, in the case of McGrory, I think he would have been a quintessential Notre Dame player, could have been a real, real great player there. But now he's going to Michigan where he might put up more points. He might open things up a little bit. You know, I think Michigan, they don't have tremendous structure, uh, whereas Notre Dame has rigid structure. And so I think that that's part of the reason that some players don't go there. Um, Notre Dame has produced pro players. I mean, you look at guys like Jake Evans and Ian Cole and Kyle Palmieri. And, and, you know, he's not in the NHL, but TJ Tynan has been one of the best AHL players of the last, you know, decade. Um, 
so I think that there is, I, I do think that stylistically it can be different. Um, you know, I think academically it's can be different as well. Um, but it's, I don't have a great answer for this question because I do think that Notre Dame has the capability of being a top program that players want to go to that players, uh, you know, they have a great facility. Again, I still think Jeff Jackson is a phenomenal coach who has a track record of developing players. He wants you to play a certain way. And if you don't play that way, it's it's harder for you to, to, to get a more substantial role. It's not an easy place to go, and it's not for everybody. And I think, you know, I don't think it's a problem. You know, you lose these guys, but Notre Dame's lost these players, and they still make the NCAA tournament. I mean, they, they, they were a win away from the Frozen Four this year. Um, so, you know, that's, that's the other thing is, you know, I, I wish, I wish I had a better answer, but, um, you know, I think that they have a place that, that, that I would want to play, um, if I were a, were a young player, um, and, you know, being close to Chicago, being in South Bend, being in a great facility, um, you know, I just, I think there would have been a lot, a lot there for, uh, for any player to go to, but unfortunately, um, you know, Notre Dame what looked like what could have been one of the best recruiting classes in the country is suddenly, you know, not. Um, so that's certainly something that uh, seems to just be a trend right now and, and something that hopefully the Irish can uh, break out of because I think it's a really good uh, opportunity for them to, uh, you know, to continue to build their program. And, and I think as we've seen the top programs, you need some of those top players to commit to you and, and prove that they can play at your school and thrive and become an NHL player. And, Guys like Kyle Palmieri have done that, but there have been fewer and further between when it comes to that first-round caliber talent. So uh, an interesting question, and I appreciate it there from uh, BHawk0035. This next one is from Ryan, and he asks, who will be the next BU coach? And was this year's Frozen Four evidence that teams don't need as many older players? Three of the four teams were among the eight youngest rosters by average age. All right, so to get to the first question, all signs are pointing to the job being Jay Pandolfo's if he wants it. Um, and the fact that that hasn't moved that quickly is interesting to me uh, because Pandolfo was on the bench for BU last year. Um, I don't think it's going to be David Quinn. I know there's a lot of people that have speculated would Quinny come back and, and go coach there. I think that his desire is to return to the NHL in some capacity. Um, and so I don't think it'll be him. I don't think any of the NHL coaches or executives are going to be in the mix there. Um, you know, they're guys that, that have jobs that they want to keep, you know, uh, some great alumni in, in, in the NHL ranks. You got John Hines in Nashville and Meg Sullivan in, in Pittsburgh and, you know, Joe Sacco and, and other play other guys that have ties to this program. So, you know, I think that Jay Pandolfo does make some sense. He's, he was a, an NHL assistant coach with the Bruins has been with the program this year, um, you know, a former NHL player as well. So it seems to be his if he wants it, but really that that it hasn't happened yet. There could be a, a much larger search going on. Um, you know, are there coaches at other programs that you want to try and poach? Um, if you're Boston University, you certainly have that capability. Um, but it seems like so many schools often want to go with alumni and pl- people that are invested in the program and that very personal way, um, which can work and it sometimes doesn't, but that's one that we'll have to wait and see. I, you know, it seems that way, but we'll have to wait and see if there are any other candidates that emerge in these coming weeks. And to get to Ryan's second question, you know, 
I think that this last Frozen Four proved that if you if you have elite talent, you can still make the Frozen Four, even if it's young. Um, you know, I think that you ideally still want to have a balance. You want to be able to have the, those those high end freshman classes and and freshmen and sophomores, um, the guys that are gonna be one and done or two and done, as long as you have other players that kind of support that. Uh, you know, I think UMass was one of the the good examples of of being able to, you know, we can have the elite of the elite, but we need to have some guys that are going to stick around for four years. And in the case of, of UMass, they had guys like Bobby Trevino and, um, you know, Matt Kessel and and, and others that, that kind of stuck around. And then they have the the high-end freshmen and sophomores that come in and, and help bolster the program. Um, so, you know, I think that really it's a kind of a cyclical thing. It all depends on how good the players are when they're younger, how mature they are, do they have one foot out the door or are they committed to winning a championship? And I think in the case of Michigan, you look at, okay, well, those players all had a chance to turn pro and all of them decided to come back. And I think that that shows that they were, they didn't have one foot out the door. They had, they were all in to win a championship. And I know they were devastated to not do that, to not get that done. Uh, you know, falling just a goal shy of reaching the national championship game this year is a pretty bitter pill after missing the NCAA tournament last year. But I think that if you have players that are committed to that, then then you're going to have success. And I think Denver has always had that, where they've had high-end players, but they also have that next tier of guys that are just so all-in on DU. And all and, and, and I've, not to say that the top players aren't. I mean, Bobby Brink, for sure. You know, I mean, that, that kid competes at all times. Um, you know, but then they have the the Carter Savoys and the and the – you know, the higher end skill guys that can make plays, Sean Barron's, Mike Benning, you know, so, so those guys can make such tremendous plays. And then you got an opportunity to, you know, to make it as a, uh, you know, a national champion. So I still think that, you know, older teams at Minnesota state was, I think the 15th oldest by average age in the NCAA this year. So they were on the older end, but I do think that it's all about having good players, good coaching, good structure. Um, and I think that's really one thing we didn't talk enough about was how, how structured Denver was, how, you know, they, they, they allowed their skill players to do what they do, but they played really good team defense. Everyone was committed. Um, they had the goaltending and all that other stuff. So, um, you know, I think it, it really comes down to the structure and the, the, the commitment of the team and, you know, it doesn't matter what age you are for that, but hopefully, you know, I, I mean, I don't mind, I know a lot of people get really upset about the older players in college hockey, but I have always maintained that that is what makes college hockey a significantly strong and one of the best development routes that exists for players. It challenges the younger players in a way that they wouldn't have been challenged until they got to minor pro otherwise, um, where you're playing against bigger, stronger, faster players in a physical game, in a game with tremendous structure, that you have to figure out how to beat. And, and I think that that's one of the real benefits of college hockey is that these older teams, they level the playing field competitively and provide some parity. And they allow to say, oh, well, we're not, we're never going to get that first round draft pick, but we have this guy that's 24 years old that's played four years of college hockey and knows his job better than anybody could. And that makes him effective. Um, and I do think that that's one of the reasons why I really like um, the the way that college hockey is set up currently. Um, so it, it just all comes down to having good players and regardless of their age, not worrying about it and, and just coaching the group that you have. 
and I, and I think that all four teams that made the Frozen Four this year were 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 that and more. So um, we'll see. We'll see what happens uh, going forward. But I think if you're a coach in college hockey, your goal should always be to get the best players and the guys that fit the best within your program and let the results fall where they may. Next one comes from Bert. Thoughts on Sean Barron's and his freshman season with Denver. Who are your top U.S.-born defenders for the 2022 NHL draft? Well, we have, uh, you know, first to start with Sean Barron's. I mean, he's had a tremendous freshman season. The minutes that he played, the opportunities that he got on, on the first power play, um, you know, he, he had a tremendous season, 29 points in 37 games. He would have been on the World Junior team, but a positive COVID test kept him out. I think that he will more than likely be back and on the roster this time for the Summer World Juniors um, because they wanted him to be that way. Um, so I think that he will probably be there. Um, I think defensively, Sean Barron stepped up. I think he played a, a very strong game. And, and for those that don't know, he is a second-round draft pick of the Colorado Avalanche. Um you know, some of the plays that he was able to make, some of the reads that he made this year, just shows his maturity and his poise with the puck on the stick. Um, really like the way that he moves pucks up ice, exits the zone extremely well, skates extremely well. You know, not a big guy, but he just he he's competitive and he defends. And um, I think that the best is yet to come for Sean Barron's. I'm excited to see what he looks like as a sophomore. As far as the top U.S. born defenders for the 2022 NHL draft. Um, you know, it's going to be an interesting year. I think there might not be very many, you know, first round, uh, us defensemen. I think we could see a run on us defensemen in the second round. Um, the guys at the national team development program are, are among the tops. One of my personal favorites is Lane Hudson, who's headed to the Boston university, um, undersized defenseman, but the most dynamic defenseman in the forthcoming draft. He is a guy that just makes plays. All over the ice, he's one of the top scoring defensemen that the NTDP has had in the last few years. Um, he'll, I'll see him at the World Under-18 Championship. I expect him to play a big role there. He played last year as an underager, had five assists in that tournament to lead all defensemen for Team USA. This year, over a point per game, 53 points in 52 games with the NTDP, um, including 32 and 27 in the USHL. So really remarkable run there for Lane Hudson. I think he's a, an exceptional young player, and even though he's not big, um, he's one of my favorites for this draft. Will he go in the first round? Almost certainly not. Um, but I think that if a team is so inclined, he should be an early day two pick. Um, he's a guy that will be high on my list as well. But besides him, there's also Ryan Chesley. And Ryan Chesley might actually have the best chance of the NTDP defenseman to go in the first round. Um, you know, Hasn't produced at the level that we expected him to this year. Uh, you know, his numbers are are down from last season. He had 21 points in 51 games this year. He had 34 uh, in 37 with the under-17s last year. And then when he moved up to the under-18 team, he had two points in 12 games, including one at the World Under-18 Championship. He is headed to the University of Minnesota next season. He is a Minnesota native from Matamidi. Um you know, I think there is a much greater chance that he goes in the first round because he's a two-way right shot defenseman who plays strong. He closes gaps extremely well. Um, he can be physical enough. He's not necessarily, you know, he's not a bruising defenseman. He's not big enough to be that. Um, moves pucks adequately. Really good skater. Um, so that's a guy that I think will will have a lot of interest. Um, Seamus Casey is another one who I think will be a, an early day two pick. 
Um, you know, probably in the second round, maybe even slips down to the third. But you know, he's another right shot defenseman, average size. Um, you know, he's he's got 26 points in 40 games this season. He'll play at the University of Michigan next year. Um, just a really good skater. Uh, he's a Florida native, um, but you know, just a just a really good skater and, and an intelligent player. And one of the guys that's kind of under the radar that I actually like quite a bit. Um, and, and I think he'll be, you know, a mid round pick, but he's on the NTDP as well. And that's Charlie Letty. He's more of a shutdown defenseman. He's got some size to him. Six foot one right shot defenseman, very little offensively this year. Um, you know, 15 points, all assists in 47 games, um, plays a physical style of defense. Um, you know, he'll, he'll be headed to Boston college next year. So that's something to look forward to for BC Eagle fans, but Charlie Letty is a guy that I think absolutely um, could make an impact at the collegiate level next season. And then, you know, there's certainly a number of other uh, American defensemen and, and guys that are in the USHL that will potentially, you know, make an impact here um, in, in the draft. But yeah, I mean, I think that this year's class for American defensemen, it's not as strong as some of the other countries. I think it's a great year for defensemen in the draft period. Um, but, you know, it's not necessarily the greatest year for uh, for for U.S. defensemen. Although I should say, I, one of the guys who, who, he's not American, he's but he's in the USHL. And he is, uh, he's headed to University of Nebraska, Omaha. Um He's in his second year of eligibility, and that is Jacob Guevin, who is playing for uh, for the Muskegon Lumberjacks. 52 points this season in 56 games, um, so he's having a really tremendous year. Likely to be drafted, again, headed to the University of Nebraska, Omaha, out of the Muskegon Lumberjacks as my dog goes completely insane upstairs because it's garbage day. And uh, she doesn't like garbage trucks. So hopefully you don't hear her too much because I'm just going to have to keep going here because I want to make sure that we get this to you. Um, you know, Lucas Gustafson out of the Chicago Steel is another guy to keep an eye on. Um, you know, I, I believe he'll he'll be drafted. He's a, a, a U.S. Uh, Canadian dual citizen or U.S. Sorry, U.S. Swedish dual citizen. Um, and he uh, is having a really good season with the Chicago Steel. Not a lock to be drafted, but just a guy to be aware of. 34 points in 54 games, um, you know, and and um, you know will be a guy that, that to keep an eye on. He's also headed to Boston College, so a couple of the top guys coming that way. Um, but yeah, and I feel bad, like I may be just missing some off the top of my head. Um, but there are some really good uh, good players coming coming along in the near future here. In, uh, in among Americans, and um, you know, I think we'll we'll see where everything goes from there. All right, let's move on to our next question, and that comes from Carson Wallach. What USHL players will have the biggest impact in their freshman seasons? Well, you know, Carson, that is a good question. It's always I, I always lean towards the guys that are going to be coming in as older players. Um, certainly you look at the national team development program guys that played out of the USHL this year, Logan Cooley, Cutter Gauthier, Frank Nazar, um, Jimmy Snuggerud, uh, the, the defenseman that I just mentioned, all of those guys are going to be impact freshmen. Um, I really think it, particularly Logan Cooley very well could be the best freshman in college hockey, but then you also look at some of the guys that are older and like Stephen Halliday heading to Ohio State University. He's a guy that, that's had a really tremendous season in the USHL. He's 
you know, in his third year of draft eligibility. I'm not necessarily certain that he will be drafted. I mean, I think that he's worth a mid-round pick. Um, later on, he's got size. He's got some decent skating ability. You know, he's, he's not the fastest guy, but he certainly gets to where he needs to go and has a bit more power in his game, and he's just a creative offensive performer. 86 points in 58 games this year. Um, his fourth season in the USHL. So you always, when those guys are still around at, at, for four seasons, 19, you know, at 19 years old, um, you say, oh, well, what's that all about? You know, but but I think in Stephen Halliday's case, you know, when he goes to Ohio State, he's going to have a chance to be an instant impact player. And if he doesn't get drafted, I do think he's going to be a guy that becomes a uh, an undrafted free agent. Um, so, you know, I think that you always look at that as a guy that could be a, a real help um, another guy to keep an eye on, be interesting to kind of see where he ends up, is the leading scorer in the USHL, Jeremy Wilmer, uh, former National Team Development Program player, heading to Boston University next year. Uh, very wise of BU to send him back, say, make you know, get yourself another year of junior, get some, get get a get a good season under your belt, and he absolutely has. Um, he's already set the franchise record for the Tri City Storm with assists in a single season. He's got 65 so far. Um, you know, highly skilled, undersized player. You know, not a guy that I don't. You know, he's probably not going to be drafted, but he is having an exceptional season and is really taking a step forward. Um, another guy that I personally like quite a bit um, that I think will be able to make a, a sizable impact for the University of Minnesota next season is Connor Kurth. 74 points in 58 games for the Dubuque Fighting Saints. 31. I think he'll be drafted, even though you know he's another guy that is in an, in his second year of eligibility. I would draft him in the mid rounds. I think he plays a very competitive brand of hockey. If you don't take him now, you're just going to be, you know, spending money on him as a free agent later and competing with everyone else. Um, I just think that he plays a, a, a heavy game and he makes a makes a lot of plays, and that's a guy that I could see making a, an impact. Lastly, and this is not an older player, but a player that will be draft eligible next season. You probably already know the name, and you're probably like, why has it taken you so long to get to this player? It's just because I wanted to name some of the older guys first because let's talk about Adam Fantilli. Incredible season in the USHL. 72 points in 52 games so far this season in the USHL. He has been... Uh, he was the leading goal scorer in the playoffs last year. He was the MVP of the Clark Cup playoffs. I mean, just incredible job by him in in what he's been able to accomplish this season. And then if you look at this, look at him compared to under eighteen players in the USHL, starting in the Tier One era, and you know you basically go back to the two thousand and one. And you say, okay, well, how is he doing as a U18 player in this league? Fifth highest scoring in terms of raw points so far. 1.39 points per game average. The guys that are ahead of him on this list currently at that same age, um, he's he's ahead of actually Kyle Connor, who had 1.32 in his, his U18 season with the Youngstown Phantoms. He had 31 goals and 74 points. Fantilli has 37 goals and 72 points. Uh, Thomas Vanek had a tremendous season, 91 points in his U18 season. The all-time record holder in the Tier 1 era is Taylor Camerata, who was drafted by the New York Islanders but never made it as an NHL or has not played above the ECHL. Um, He had 93 points for Waterloo as a U18. But Adam Fantilli, a top five season all-time in the Tier 1 era for the USHL, I do think that he will be able to make an instant impact and he is going to be a top three pick in next year's draft based on everything. You know, 
will he supplant Matvey Mitchkov as a potential number two? Uh, because of the the Russian situation, I think it's absolutely possible. I don't think Fantilli will overtake Connor Bedard, but here's what Fantilli has: he's got size, he's got scoring ability, and he has great work ethic as well. So I think he's going to be a very sought after draft pick and a guy that will make an instant impact for the University of Michigan because who else uh, gets those top players? And he'll be a, another highly drafted prospect and, and another guy to watch from the USHL for Michigan. Gavin Brindley as well. I think he's going to have a, a big season there as a freshman. He will also be draft eligible. Um, so we'll see where Brindley uh, ends up for them. Um, as uh, we do, we do expect him. We're, this is assuming he goes to Michigan next season. I believe he will be headed there next season based on some of the movement that we've seen. He has 42 points in 51 games for the Tri-City Storm. So that is another name to know is Gavin Brindley. So great question there. Jake Baskin asks, with Nate Lehman coaching the 2022 World Juniors and Rand Pecknold coaching the 2023 team, what other American college coaches could you see running a World Junior team in the future? Well, I mean, there's certainly a number of of, of, of coaches in the mix. I think, you know, Rand Pecknold was a guy that kind of came from outside of the rotation, um, you know, hadn't coached at the World Juniors before, hadn't even been an assistant at the World Juniors, but has worked in, on national teams one of his assistant coaches at that tournament is going to be Pat Fershweiler, who is a Western Michigan's head coach. I would think that he is absolutely in the mix to coach a World Junior team in the near, not too distant future. Um, he is, you know, running a great program at Western Michigan. He's coached, been a head coach at the Holinka Gretzky Cup. Um, this will be his first World Junior experience, so you can see that's an opportunity for him to, to you know, to to get that get that uh, chance. Um, you know, I think we could also see Greg Brown, who's the head coach of the Dubuque Fighting Saints. He's been an assistant at the World Juniors many times. I could see him getting an opportunity to be the head coach of this team in the in the near future as well. Um, you know, having that head coaching experience with Dubuque is going to be very helpful. Um, as I mentioned, he very well could be in the mix to be the head coach at Boston College whenever Jerry York moves on. Um, so that's another one. And one last name to think about. Uh, I'll be very interested to see if uh, Greg Carvel uh, gets into the mix, the UMass head coach, obviously a guy that's so focused on culture and building culture and has, has managed elite players, has worked at the NHL level. Um, he's coached at the world championship level as an assistant. Could very well see Greg Carvel getting a, a crack at this team. I hope he that he does at some point. I'd be interested to see what he does with it um, to see you there. So uh, those are just a handful of names that, that I could come up with Right off the top of my head, Jake, but I think that they're they're really good options there. Um, certainly, the U.S. coaching ranks has has gotten just better and better as the years have gone on. All right, our last college hockey specific question uh, comes from Ski Ura. What is your way too early college rankings for 2022-23, and why are the Gophers number one? Oh, I see what you did there. You 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 talk you you walked me right into that. Well, honestly, I do think that the University of Minnesota has a chance to be number one. Um, I do. Uh, the Gophers are going to be returning a lot of players. Brock Faber coming back is huge. Justin Close, after having the season that he did, now will have a chance to you know really establish himself as the number one goaltender um, at at the school there. You know, I think they're going to be bringing in one of the best recruiting classes in the country. Logan Cooley, Jimmy Snuggerud, um, Ryan Chesley, guys that can make immediate impacts for them. I mentioned Connor Kurth earlier as well. Uh, I think that they're going to have one of the best overall freshman classes. It's between them and Minnesota or Michigan next year as the, the number one recruiting class. I lean slightly Michigan, but Minnesota's certainly there. Um, you know, I think that that's huge. 
Michigan is going to be right in that mix too. I'd, I'd have them as a top five team next year. Denver, I fully expect them to be back. I think they were a year ahead of schedule with the way that their season went this year. Obviously, you want to try to win with Bobby Brink. You know, does Magnus Corona come back? Does, does I, I like their their backup goalie Matt Davis? Maybe he can step in and be a be a good good netminder for them. Um, you know, having Barons and Benning back on the blue line, Shai Booyam, Carter Mazer. I mean, they're going to have a lot of their core guys from this team back they just won't have bobby brink um you know assuming carter savoy comes back for his junior season you know those are the guys that that can really make an impact on your program and i I think that denver is going to be very much in the mix and i'm certainly not counting out minnesota state it sounds like jake livingstone's going to come back they do lose nathan smith they're going to lose some other players um you know do they have the high-end skill to to compete without a, a guy like nathan smith um you know, it might be tough, but I think you, you have guys like Ryan Sandlin can take a step up, Brendan Furry. Um, you know, they, they have some really good players on that group. So, you know, I think that the top five, the teams that were there this year are very have a really good chance to be there next year too. Um, keep an eye out on Northeastern though. Northeastern bringing back, you know, most everybody but Jordan Harris, and, and they did have some transfers, but Devin Levi will be back between the pipes. We assume Jaden Struble will be back in school. I believe, Actually, I'm pretty sure that's confirmed that he'll be back in school. Uh, Aiden McDonough opting not to turn pro. Huge for that program. Sam Colangelo take a big step this year. I'd like to see him take an even bigger one next year. Um, you know, Riley and Jack Hughes, really good players. So Northeastern, keep an eye on them. I think they could be the class of Hockey East next season. Uh, with the group that they're bringing back. So I don't want to, you know, numerically order it yet. I'll save that for, for hockey sense, but ski hoorah. Uh, you know, I, I think that the Gophers have a really good chance to be that number one team in the preseason next year. Uh, and, and the teams that we saw in the frozen four, uh, I don't think they're going anywhere. Next one comes from Daryl. And this one is about the 2022 NHL draft. If the Habs pick second, who do you draft? Assuming right goes first. Oh boy, this is getting to be a lot tougher. I do think that Shane Wright has now for, further established himself as the number one prospect in this class, even though I know that there are a lot of teams that are still like wonder, still wondering, you know, how good is he going to be? How much better is he going to get? Um, there wasn't as much progression this season that they wanted to see. I still think he's got a chance. He's already over 90 points in the OHL, um, having a really strong season, but he'll, he'll probably go number one. After that, I think the Habs have two options. To me, at least. The first would be, if, if I was picking, I think Logan Cooley. You want to continue to be more dynamic. Yes, he's not as big. Um, you know, you've already got some size issues up front. But I think Logan Cooley is the most dynamic player. I think with the way that the Habs have played under Martin St. Louis, I think he could do a lot with a, with a Logan Cooley if he's still there. Uh, you know, you never know with these things. You, you don't draft players to the coach. Uh, but... I do think he could do a lot with with a Logan Cooley at the center position. Um, you know, I, I do think Cooley is a, is a center at the next level, even though he's not the biggest guy. There aren't a ton of five ten centers out there, five eleven guys. You know, it's it, so you want to, you know, you hope that he can continue to to, to progress, get get stronger. Um, you always head to the University of Minnesota next season, so you you have some chance for him to develop under Bob Motzko, and and things will be interesting there, but. Um, you know, I, I think that there's going to be quite a bit to work on, um, you know, for for the Habs in general. And if you want to get bigger, if, you, if you're concerned about size and you want to get bigger up front, Uri Slavkovsky has, has really established himself even further. You know, the Olympics put him further up the charts. Um, you know, coming into the year, I think a lot of us expected him to be a top five pick. And then there was, you know, kind of... 
it didn't really seem like things were clicking the way that everybody thought they would. Then he goes to the Olympics and everything starts clicking. You know, he had five points in the playoffs uh, for TPS so far. Um, Ten points finalized in, in his season at, at TPS. And I think six in the eight or ten games at, after he got back from the Olympics. Um, you know, whenever he's played for the U-20 team, he's been simply dominant. And he's got the World Juniors coming up this summer. Played in the Olympics, had the seven goals, MVP performance. Um, you know, so that guy's tough to 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 leave off. He's six foot four, two hundred and eighteen pounds, and a left winger. So I think that you could absolutely see him in that number two mix. Um, and I think the Habs, even though there are some really enticing defensemen, I think the Habs should continue to focus on rebuilding their forward group and getting more dynamic up front. And I think that either two, either of those two guys would make a lot of sense in the number two spot. Next one comes from Chris Berberian. Hey, Chris, from what I remember, Capo Caco was praised in his draft year for his possession ability and small area board play, which is similar to Uri Slavkovsky. Are there any traits in the latter that you would that would endear him to greater success in the NHL? All right, you know what, Chris? Good question. Thank you for that. It's good to hear from you again. Um, I think that you know, Uri Slavkovsky has a little bit more of a dynamic skill set um, than Capo Caco does. I think that's part of it. He's bigger as well. You know, having that size advantage is is huge. Um, you know, Kako had such a tremendous season in his his draft season. I mean, they're not at all comparable, aside from the fact that they wore the same jersey. You know, Kako had 22 goals and 38 points in his, his draft year. Just a remarkable production. Yuri Slavkovsky didn't touch that this year. That doesn't bother me as much, though. And I, I believe me, I am also concerned. I share the concern of Rangers fans with Capococco's production and the fact that it just hasn't been there. Um, but again, I do think that Uri Slavkovsky is a more dynamic player. He is bigger. He can win those small, small area games. He can play, you know, he can score from distance. Um, he can drive the net. So he can do all of those things. I, you know, and I wish I could tell you what's, wrong or you know why capo hasn't taken that step as a player um you know certainly i think there's a the the usage factor is in there um there are a lot of other things that 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 can can make a difference but i just yeah i mean i i think that you know right now if i'm looking at it you know all the evidence should suggest that capo caco would be the better nhl player between the two um, we haven't seen that yet, uh, but but I think that Slavkovsky's size, his skill set, those are the things that could potentially make him a better player. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it, anything is possible. And also, don't give up on Capo Caco yet. I think that you know he's got a lot to prove, but he'll get there. Next one comes from Kenneth Clark. Thoughts on how Riker Evans is developing since being drafted? If I remember correctly, he was a bit of a reach. Well, Riker Evans is a Seattle Kraken draft pick. They picked him in the second round. He was in his second year of eligibility. Um, and, yeah, or might have even been third. And, you know, he was certainly not a guy that was on my radar for the draft very much. Um, you know, he had 28 points in 24 games in the shortened WHL season. Um, you look at what he's done this year, though. 59 points in 62 games for the Regina Pats. He has... Uh, he has been a pretty remarkable player. I think he's taken a step forward. I believe that the Kraken 
feel pretty strongly that he is going to be part of their plans as early as next season. Um, you know, maybe he'll need some additional AHL time. You always take a guy that's playing in his fourth year of junior hockey, his numbers with a grain of salt, just like I mentioned with Stephen Halliday earlier. You expect them to get better. You expect them to produce more. You expect them when they're 20 years old to be among the best players. You know, I just think that Riker Evans has taken that step where there's a smoothness to his game. There is a, um, there, there's a refinement to it. He defends adequately. You know, among OHL defensemen this year, he is seventh. Um, so having a really great year, hands down. I think that he's progressed well. I still think, you know, there's a lot more that remains to be seen. Picking him 35th overall was a big risk, but it was one that Seattle felt very confident in. I know that for a fact. And, you know, they felt like this is a guy that's going to be a legit player for us in the very near future. And, you know, I look at guys like, you know, Yanis Jerome Mosier, who's playing for, um, for, for Arizona drafted as an older player, you know, drafted well after his first few years of eligibility and how easily he's transitioned into the NHL, um, as an older player. You know, I think that Evans is going to have a bit of a steeper learning curve because he didn't play the Mosier played professionally and played in world championships and things like that. But I do think that Evans has taken enough of a step here in this season that the Kraken can feel a little bit more confident about the pick that they made. And I'll be very interested to see what happens when he gets when they get their hands on him developmentally because they may need him on their NHL roster next year. So we will have to wait and see. All right. I think, did we get through all the questions? Let me just go through my list one more time. Don't want to leave you guys hanging. This is how you do. This is how you produce a podcast. You do your whole thing and then you're like, oh, you know what? Let's just double check, make sure I didn't forget anybody. Looks like I got everybody. Um, so if I missed your question, you can call me out on Twitter. If I didn't, you're welcome. Um, and thank you for everybody that listened to this week's podcast. That's how we wrap up the men's college hockey season. We'll be talking a lot more about the NHL draft and the World Under 18 Championship in the coming weeks. Um, cannot wait. We'll you know certainly be getting a regular rotation of guests going once again. Uh, I'll continue to do these Q&A podcasts whenever possible. If you ever have a question that you'd like to ask on the podcast, just hit me up on Twitter, at Chris M. Peters. If I don't answer it immediately on Twitter, then I'll answer it on the podcast. Um, and also, you can hit me up at HockeySenseWithCP at gmail.com if you'd like to ask something in email form as well. And I will always thank you for those questions. You helped me create the content, and I hope that I am answering these adequately so that you all can enjoy this podcast. Thanks, everybody, for joining me this week. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, review, do whatever you got to do to help get the word out about this podcast. We want it to keep growing in year two. And I thank you all for the support that you've given me throughout this season. Can't wait for so much more because this is the season that never ends. The World Juniors in August, the draft in July. I mean, why not? Who needs a break? More hockey, I say. And I'm sure you say the same thing. That's going to do it for this week's episode of Talking Hockey Sense. I'm Chris Peters. Thanks so much for joining me. We'll catch you next time.